0: And Welcome to another episode of Found City Sports Media, a podcast made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name's Armando, aka Hot Take Mondo, and I'm joined by my friend Reese, aka the Reese Incarnate Bach Lesnar, and we're back, baby! We had way too much fun after the Super Bowl. Uh, we just took two weeks off and we are like, just hung over from a Super Bowl win and we couldn't talk about anything. Yeah, dude. How you doing? How you doing from your Super Bowl hangover, Reese?
1: Oh man, it feels good. I'm just actually getting done from being Super Bowl hangovered. Uh, no, I've been I've been good, man. Started a new job, uh, working at a consulting firm, which is awesome. I love everybody there. It's a really nice place to work. Uh, and yeah, it's basically what I've been doing for the last three weeks. Uh, Bowie is continuing to get older and more mature he's uh he's being a very good boy except he learned a, a new trick about waking up at like 5 20 every morning we're like where is this coming from oh no so actually the leap forward thing has actually played to our advantage because now like 5:20 <laughs> is like 6 20 so we're trying to like keep him up super late and like oh. reset his clock now so it can be like okay you're waking nice. up at 6 45 and he goes oh, okay i'll <laughs> at 6 45 so but no I love the fact that we have more daylight. That's honestly like the highlight of probably the last week for me is that now that we have the extra hour of daylight, it just changes my paradigm on everything.
0: Is Did Bowie stop growing or is he still growing?
1: Ooh, I mean, we thought he was done, but in the last two weeks especially, he's looking really trim and his ears kind of got what we call bat ears again, like really kind of oh, big. he's got some dog in him. He's, he's still got some of that dog in him, so we think... <laughs> I think when we weighed him last at the vet right before the Super Bowl, he was like 60 pounds flat. I think he's doing like one final growth spurt now that he's about 13 months old. So I think he's probably going to be every bit of like 65 pounds when he's all said and done.
0: Well, that's not too bad. I thought he'd be bigger, actually.
1: Yeah, he's a uh, he's like right on the higher end of what like the male dogs are in that uh in that spectrum. So we'll see what happens. Nice,
0: dude. Nice. Yeah, no, what, what about you? What about you? Oh, man. Well, we'll, we'll see what happens today. So, yeah, I, the reason why we haven't been... Um, we didn't do the last couple of weeks is I've been sick. And, like, I forgot. The last time that we talked about me being sick, remember... I, I don't even remember us talking about it, so I'm just going to reiterate it. But the last time that I was sick was, like, a month ago. And I was like, I was like, Reese, never in COVID history, like, during the COVID era, have I gotten any sickness other than COVID... And I was like, but I got this cold and it sucks, man. I don't get it. Well, that ended up being COVID. Uh, yeah. And I didn't find out till like when it was done. And then because we had to get tested there with uh, with uh, Kentucky Opera because yeah. we're like, you know, singing. So I got tested like I was completely fine, but I had COVID during that time. So, so I was like, oh my gosh, it's true. The streak is alive. I've never gotten sick, like non-COVID sick during the COVID era. But I kept like bragging about that. So then a sickness swept in and they're like, oh, yeah, watch this. So, yeah, I've been out for like two weeks with I don't know what just been like a nasty cold, no voice. I've been caught like every night. I've never coughed so much in my life. It's it's been it's been pretty awful. And I don't know It's it's something's going around. But but I also just moved it like like when I came from Kentucky, I came back home we signed on a new house. We moved into the house, transitioning that into like, you know, being gone for a month. I think everything just caught up to me. And like, boy, it hit me, dude. Because yeah, coughing sucks. And talking about, it, remember, remember you and I were talking about steroids too? Oh yeah. We were like, don't take steroids. Dude, I went, I went right on steroids last week too. <sighs> dude, been, been, been on, been on that good, good cortisone or whatever. No, um, what was it called? Prednisone. Pre- Pregnizone could like, yeah. But, uh, you know, for those of you that are singers that are listening, I like did not sing a lick on the Pregnizone either. And I've like sung maybe a little bit since off of it today. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens. But. But uh, so bear with me if my voice gives out today. But we're just gonna keep trucking through. But I'm glad to be back, man. I missed this. I missed you, Reese. I missed talking about the Chiefs. The Chiefs have done so much. Oh my since gosh, since the Super Bowl, it's it's incredible. I thought I thought we'd like take a break. They would they would go on the like banana boat to Cancun, you know, like you know banter with the Cincinnati Bengals on Twitter. But no, <laughs> Brett Re- Brett Brett Reach <laughs> Brett Veach has gone right to work, Reese, and I am so fired up because. I said I said last year that like this this Kansas City Chiefs team is so young. I remember a stat that I brought up was like we're the third youngest team in the NFL to like have starters. So even if we didn't like do anything in the off season, this team would get better because of their their youth, right? Like like with experience, this team is just gonna get better. But Brett Veach said, you know what? That's not enough. And he's making incredible moves, and we're going to talk about today and break it all down. So here we go, Reese. Let's let's break this down with the biggest news. The Kansas City Chiefs signed Jawan Taylor from the Jacksonville Jaguars for a four years, $80 million deal, 60 mil guaranteed, with $20 million per year. Now, Reese, before that had happened, we had talked about Orlando Brown Jr. and whether we're going to bring him back or not. Then we started hearing that, you know what, they can't get a deal done. So Reese, before this happened, were you, what, what was your panic meter? Like, did you care if we, if we retained Orlando Brown jr or were you okay with, you know what, let's let him go and let's find someone in the draft.
1: Nope. I was 100% happy. We did not retain Orlando Brown jr. We've had two years now to see what Orlando Brown jr is. And guess what? It was two years of Pat getting consistently hit running for his life, and it culminated in something that should have broken our Super Bowl chances in the very first drive of the playoffs in Patrick's ankle getting straight up folded after Orlando Brown Jr. got beat again. So I can tell you my biggest fear was that we were going to partially cave and we're going to kind of meet him halfway. We'd probably offer him like a little better of a contract than last year, you know, like less funny money at the end, more guaranteed money. And we wouldn't necessarily reset the market with him, but would pay him probably like top three, maybe even left tackle money just because we felt compelled to and we had to. My second worst fear was that we would just keep him on the team in general, dude, because we've seen it. He was second worst in the league last year in pass win rate. He gets blown by with anybody with a lick of speed. I know he didn't allow any sacks in the Super Bowl. Okay, cool. But a broken clock is right twice a day. Put on an F and T shirt yeah, put put that in f and T shirt. So I mean, dude, I'm just really happy we didn't bring it back. That's all I'm going to say,
0: yeah. you know we're we're going to get into it right now about like what we think about Orlando Brown jr. But it was just like this is just like a lesson in 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 free agent negotiations. like like oh O, o- b j brought in a new agent that has never negotiated in the NFL before. And he brings this person in and then he says, you know what? He wants to be the highest paid left tackle in the NFL and in NFL history. And we're going to make it happen. But like when you have no experience and you're coming in there without, you know, any camaraderie, any, you know, any sort of, you know, knowing how this business goes, you really screw yourself over. And and we saw that. Um, and we'll talk about that. Um, Adam Scheffner on on NFL Live once we signed Juwan Taylor and like the day had passed, he said, you know, for for Orlando Brown Jr., Like you, you should know the first day of free agency, you take the first deal because that is going to be the best deal you're going to get. If you wait to free agency day two, free agency day three, your price will drop that. That's just how the market is. That's how free agency goes. And unfortunately like Orlando Brown jr is betting on himself, but I just don't think that he had like the right team around him to really make this right decision for him. And again, I don't want to get into like the personal part of this, but It really could be his Achilles heel where he said, you know what? I want to be a left tackle no matter what. Like, I wanted to leave Baltimore because they wanted to keep me at right tackle. And I want to be a left tackle because my dad was a left tackle. And I want to, you know, honor my dad. Which is great. Honor your dad. Wonderful. But you can't deny the fact that he played significantly better on the right side than he did on the left side. And we have the stats to prove it. And we have two years of, like, of proof that Orlando Brown Jr., is incredible on the right side and can and plays well against the rush when it comes to the left side, when it comes to pass protection, like he was really struggling and even said so on NFL Live yesterday. He was like, Oh, uh, yeah, playing with the Chiefs is really hard because I always <coughs> whoops, excuse me. He's like, I always had to play on an island on the left side. Well, if you want to be the, the highest paid tackle in the NFL, you got to be able to protect on the left side on an island. Well. And
1: that's what I ultimately take umbrage with in this whole thing. Like you said, yeah, he played better on the right-hand side, but that was the right tackle position on a run-first team like Baltimore. Exactly. My issue with his time here is that he was a right tackle who filled in spot-wise for left tackle when Ronnie Stanley got injured. And when it came time to the end of the season, he said, I'm not a right tackle, I'm a left tackle. And it's like, okay, good, way to bet on yourself and say you think you can play left tackle. And then the minute he comes to the Chiefs, it's suddenly, I'm not just a left tackle. I'm the highest paid left tackle. And it's like... (laughs) I'm
0: the left tackle.
1: Yeah, it's like, dude, you're kind of putting the cart before the horse here. It's like, what evidence do we have that you deserve the highest paid left tackle money, you know, out there? And he's like, I I just do. And it's like, no, you know, you 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 straight up do not. For example, it's like... If I said what makes you the highest-paid left tackle in the league, it's like okay, you're six foot eight, three forty. The buck stops there. You can't do one-on-one on an island. You're terrible in pass protection. Second worst in the league in pass protection last year, dude. Th- that you can't just declare bankruptcy and be bankrupt. You know what I'm saying? I- I'm gonna put this in an opera example. I haven't thinking about this in the shower the other day. Let's do it. So. I have a bit of like a darker timbre to my voice. I'm a dark, timbered bass baritone. That's what I am. Yeah, you are. I could go I could I could throw my weight around and be like, I'm a Verdi I'm a Verity bass, you know, like I'm a dramatic bass baritone. And it's like, okay, what evidence do you have? It's like, I got a dark voice. It's like, okay, what else? You don't have a particularly big voice. You don't have a voice that like shifts the way a Verity bass shifts. Yeah, but I got a dark voice. I should be singing Verity roles at the Met, Chicago, Seattle. And it's like, okay, you know, maybe, you know, like a a Virginia opera, like an opera Santa Barbara might be like, hey, man, do you want to sing Bonco and R. Macbeth? And it's like, yeah, you take the money in that case and do it. But if I would turn those down and be like, no, dude, you know, they're doing Wagner at a they're doing Wagner at D.C. this year, you know, and I, I know I'm going to get all breached or something like that. It's just like, no, just saying it doesn't make it so, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you said, like he has the metrics, but we have the numbers to prove that he just he just wasn't he he wasn't the best in the league. Like he was fine. He he's a Pro Bowler, right? But if you want best in the league, best ever, right? Like he wanted the money of the most. Sorry, I don't. I'm what I want to say. He wanted the most money in NFL history on the left on the left side. And so if you have you have to have the numbers to back it up. And unfortunately, he doesn't. But it you know the gamble didn't work for him. But it really worked for the Chiefs, I think. Reese, I really love this deal for Juwan Taylor. Uh, Juwan Taylor, I think already isn't is a is a pretty big improvement from Orlando Brown Jr. He's great at pass protecting. If if you remember the the game against the uh, the uh, the uh, Chargers in the playoffs, he owned Joey Bosa. He owned Bosa, and he also owned Max Crosby during the year as well. I, I was watching some film with Joey with with. Um, with Max Crosby, with Nick Bosa. I was watching a lot of film with Juwan and Juwan, like frustrated at all these dudes, which is great. He's quick out of his stance. He has some of the best footwork that in the league, I think. So we got a guy with great footwork. We got a guy that is great in pass protect. Already two things against Orlando Brown Jr., not great footwork and not great in pass protect. I'm also going to compare the numbers, Reese. So pressures last year, Orlando Brown Jr., 58. Jawan Taylor, twenty-one. Mm. QB hits, OBJ, ten. Jawan Taylor, one. T- Hurries, OBJ, forty-four. Jawan Taylor, fifteen. Oh my god! This this dude proven a proven guy that we're gonna put on that left side. Also, someone that's versatile. We can put him on the right if we need to. Put him on the left. Um, you know, in situations which is also really important, right? Something that we thought Orlando Brown Jr. was going to be able to do, and he refused to do it. He's like, I'm left tackle, and that's it. So a huge, I think, this is a huge improvement. Uh, Probably we're, and we're paying him less than we would have, than what Orlando Brown Jr. wanted. So that's a plus. We got him, and we're bolstering this line. We're not, you know, trying to, like, go into the draft and, re like, you know, revamp it. We just reloaded, man. We just reloaded with a great, Left tackle, I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm very excited
1: on this. I, I know that some people are like, well, they just tried this exact same thing. You know, moving a right tackle to a left tackle, it really didn't work out well for them. It's like, yeah, but again, we, we specified that was a very specific type of player who really had nothing to base it on other than what he said. In a Ravens offense. Well, in a Ravens offense. And, you know, another thing that people forget is that Orlando Brown Jr. had a really bad combine. Like, the, him not being like a physical specimen is not new news. I mean, at the bench at the combine, he put a 14 reps, which is abysmal for someone that size. I mean, for an example, Juwan Taylor did 24 reps. You know, he he almost doubled it.
0: Oh, he's a big dude.
1: Yeah, he he's a big dude. <laughs> and he's also a lot smaller in those regards. He's 6'5, 312, Orlando Brown is 6'8, 345. Orlando Brown honestly should be like. A giant guard or something like that. He's he's just not right. fast enough to be playing tackle, let alone on the quarterback's blind side. You know, I think yeah. uh I, I'm excited about Jawan Taylor. I think we probably have a top three to four offensive line coach in the league, and Andy Heck. And I think if anyone is going to be able to kind of you know convert him over to the left side, I think it's probably going to be Andy. And, you know, I heard uh, Jeff Schwartz. Jeff Schwartz has kind of been echoing a similar sentiment. He's like, you know what? He's like, I, you know, Andy Heck, or not Andy Heck, sorry, uh, you know, Juwan Taylor might have some growing pains. He said, but I had some growing pains when I switched positions. He said, you know, look how the rest of the career turned out for me. It's just, it's kind of normal for things. He, he sees enough intangibles and stuff on film for Juwan Taylor thinking that with Joe Tooney on his right side, to help mouse Oof. and chip blocking in those run blocking scenarios where he does falter a little bit. He said, this is a perfect scenario to succeed for somebody who already has the tools.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, like to, to that point, Reese, we, um, Orlando, Jr. complained a lot about not having any protection but at the same time. Like they always had, you know, Travis Kelsey lined up. They always had Jeremy McKinnon lined up. Like he did have help. And I'm wondering now whether this changes the offense and like, how much protection, you know, Patrick Mah- Patrick Mahomes had to have because of Orlando Brown Jr.'s faults. So I feel like, you know, we might have some more weapons on the field now. You know, we don't have to have certain tight ends block, and we don't have to have a Jared McKinnon always out there trying to like help out both sides. So I think I'm I'm very excited because I think Juwan Taylor can hold his own. Like you said, he's a little bit smaller, so he's more athletic. He's got some great footwork and a really good transition. Can be a really good transition to that left side and cheaper. So. I uh, Reese, what would you grade this whole like dropping OBJ and getting Juwan Taylor? What's 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 your grade on it?
1: I think for right now on the surface, I can't grade it higher than a B because we don't know how it's going to play out for Jawan Taylor. If he if Jawan Taylor winds up being successful and he is a obvious improvement in the pass rush defense for Pat, then I'll say this is an A minus move. The contract still is a lot of money, so it's a bit of a gamble, but it's probably the best option we have because I'm not sure who we could have gotten in the draft, even if we moved up into like the top 15, top 20 and nabbed a left tackle who would have been ready to start week one for us and protect Pat the
0: way we need him to. That's my grade. What about you? I'm I, I'm very optimistic. I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it an A. I'm giving it an A because we do have film on Juwan Taylor playing some of the best, like, edge rushers in the game right and dominated against these best edge rushers and dominating in the playoffs right just like I said Joey Bosa like Joey Bosa during that playoff game like like you saw him on the sideline just throwing his helmet like could not do a thing against Juwan Taylor Max Grosby could not do a thing against Juwan Taylor right and like and these guys switch on either side right. We've we've seen Max Crosby on the left or the right side. We've seen Joey Bus on the left or right side. Whatever, whatever suits them in the offense. So at least we know on Pat's blind side, I think he's going to be pretty protected. And like we said, his footwork, athleticism, I love it, man. I'm giving this an A. Reese, right after this happened, actually yesterday this happened, Orlando Brown Jr. signs with the enemy. Cincinnati Bengals pick up Orlando Brown Jr. This is like a like, out of a Disney movie, man, it's like your ex-girlfriend right. going and like, like, the the guy that you hate or, like, the evil enemy guy. Uh, four years, $64 million, $31 million up front. So, oh I, I forgot, I, I forgot but his base salary for this year is going to be, like, $1.2 million. Reese, reaction?
1: Uh, I mean, you have to take the money, and that was probably the best contract that was being <laughs> offered to him. I'm a little surprised the Bears didn't come in with a lot of money for him, Ooh. but it's very possible, you know, Poles being a student of Veach, he may have called Brett and he's like, yo, Brett, should I take a flyer on Orlando? And there's a very good chance. Brett's like, no, you shouldn't, nope. you know, not, not with the line you have. Do not pick him up. Uh, but I, I was a little surprised and like you, it felt like a, a betrayal, not in the sense of, you know, like, oh, this sucks for us, but it's just like, oh, you jerk it's Like, why? Yeah, right? Right. So, I mean, for for Cincinnati, they haven't been able to figure out their left tackle for the last three years. So, for them, this very well could be an upgrade for them, just because yeah. it really can't get much worse on the left-hand side than it is. I think their left tackle situation hasn't been much better than Orlando Brown Jr., all truth be told. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I guess there might be nowhere to go but up for him, although you gotta remember that Joe Burrow averaged the exact same number of pass attempts as Patrick Mahomes so he's once again gonna be in a situation where it's a pass heavy offense but he won't have a Joe Tooney or our entire uh, middle offensive line to bail him out and back him up Samaji P. Ryan's gone so there's your running back block help Joe Mixon might not mm-hmm. come back so well it's a bold strategy cotton we'll see if it pays off
0: <laughs> yeah i mean look i i think i i think it's a win-win for everyone i'm not going to say that you know he uh, he's 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 going to have another you know pro bowl season with the Bengals because like you said it's not like it's not like joe burrow's handing it off to joe mixon every time like he's still sitting in the pocket now Albeit joe uh, joe burrow gets the ball off very quick so that might work to orlando brown juniors you know it, it, it'll work for him but when it comes to the playoffs i don't know man like Good freaking luck on that on that left side with that Bengals offense. But, look, it works out for him. He gets to stay on the left side. He gets a little, but here's the thing. He waited. He waited on the deal, and look what happened. He's, he's getting paid just as much as what we would have offered him, I think. I forget what the rumor was and what we offered him, but I think this is a, a very similar deal, if not less than what we had originally offered him in March. So, look. You bet on yourself, but you just didn't have the people around you and and you weren't flexible with like what you're doing, man. So so I hope I hope he does well. You know, he 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 did help us win a Super Bowl. I'm not gonna say he was like awful the whole time, but you can go back to all our podcasts, and most of the time we were complaining about Orlando Brown Jr. We were complaining about the cornerbacks. So <coughs> so um so yeah, no, I'm I'm really excited. I think this is a good step for the Kansas City Chiefs, and it made the Bengals better, maybe. So we'll see what happens, Reese. Reese, let's talk about another big signing for the Chiefs. We signed from the San Francisco 49ers, Charles Amenahue, who plays defensive tackle. We signed him for two years, $16 million. I think that's a great deal, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so just some quick things about Amenahue, and then I'll let you go. Amenahue, so some people were talking about like within San Francisco sports. We're talking about like Amenahue was the second best pass rusher on the 49ers. Now, remember, 49ers are a factory for pass rushers. like They have the best defense in the NFL. Although not against the Chiefs. But like for the past three years, they've had incredible defensive and like uh, Amenahu. We got a great player in him. He is like a perfect spags guy where he can switch. He can play inside. He can play outside. He's got some great burst. He's got some great power. I mean, I don't know. The hot take, I don't know if if Chris Jones has played with a with a guy as talented next to him on the defensive tackle as Charles Amenihu is. So this may be. Reese, this, this may be some of the best defensive line, at least in the interior, that we've seen in Kansas City in the Patrick Mahomes era. I love this signing. What do you think, Reese? Yeah, he's an interesting guy because he's a completely different
1: build than Frank Clark is. You know, the Menehu is 6'5", 280, you know, which is huge compared to Clark, who I think was like 6'3", like maybe 250 when it was all said and done. So he fits that Spags mold. Like you said, he likes a big, upright, powered, just bull rush kind of guy. And a many who really fits that bill, I I think he's going to be an upgrade from Frank Clark. Look, I got to say this right now. It's my piece on Frank Clark. I appreciate playoff Frank, particularly in the 2019 season and in the 2022 season. You know, playoff Frank was great. He really helped us win those games. But honest to goodness, I think all games considered, Frank Clark was maybe a big factor in five or
0: six of them. I I don't want to stop your hot take, but I'm asking is he replacing Frank Clark or are we going to put him in the interior? I I think he's going to replace Frank Clark
1: personally. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, he's listed a defensive end. I think we're going to play him opposite Karloftis. And I think we're going to play Hmm. around. Well, it's hard to say. I can see him rotating with like Mike Dana depending on the package. Uh, Because, you know, Mike Dana is pretty small too, and he's not a typical Spags guy. But my initial thought was he was going to replace, uh, we'll get to this later, Colin Saunders. But the more I'm watching his film, the more I'm listening to people talk, I'm getting the idea he's going to be on the edge. So this seemed seemed like a, we're losing Frank. We have to get another body in here and we'll kind of like make things work around that, if that makes sense. He might not be full-time, but you got to even remember, Chris Jones was playing a little bit on the edge. Not lining up purely as a defensive end like he was two seasons ago, but... He had a lot of snaps from the edge this year, so I can see A amenahue doing sort of the same thing.
0: yeah, I mean, it, it, that's that, that, that that's a good analysis because and, and we'll probably talk about this later on in the podcast, but that would change what I think the Chiefs are going to do next, right? Like are they going to go out and get a defensive end, like a solidified guy, which then puts A amenahue like in the interior with Chris Jones, or are they going to go maybe in the draft? Is there a guy day two that they can get that is similar to Karloftis, right? That they can build around and maybe put Karloftis on one side and then get a young dude on the, on the opposite uh, exterior. So I'm not sure because like you're right. Uh, he he is very versatile that that he can play on the outside or on the inside. Um, but my vision would be or my like if I was Brett Veach, I would put him on the inside and then try to. You know, build on the outside, maybe get, you know, maybe get another guy on the outside that's really proven or get a young, young up in camera, a day two guy that we might be able to develop.
1: Yeah, I'm going to be curious. I think we're still going to draft another guy. I don't think this is our, you know, obviously not a long term answer is a two year dude. But, you know, this gives us time to maybe draft another defensive end. that They really like and kind of groom him for another couple seasons until he's ready to go. Um, I, I think the defensive line is getting bigger. I mean, that's pretty definitive. You know, George this is, is a great. pretty big guy. Frank Clark, or, sorry, not Frank Clark. Chris Jones, I already know, well over 300 pounds. Amenahue's huge. This is starting to feel a little bit in terms of build, like that Tampa Brady line they had back in 2020. And now, I'm not going to say they're going to be that dominant, but it feels to me, I mean, when you look at like Shaq yeah. Barrett, Vita Vea, you know, those kind of guys, it seems like they're trying to build a great big angry bull rush wall.
0: Yeah, no, no, I I think you bring up a good point because what we've seen in the league and what's working in the league is that people are investing in their in 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 the trenches. And I think Brett Veach has like always wanted to invest in the trenches. Of course, we've seen this like revamped offensive line that is amazing, but we haven't seen a lot of that investment in the, in the defensive line, and I feel like Fred Veach is just going full gun like like um, uh, Philadelphia Eagles philosophy where, you know what, I'm putting all of my eggs in the trenches on both sides. And I think that's to your point, Reese, is that we're seeing him just bolster these both lines because that that's where the money is. And like, not only that, but look at all these corners that he just like ace, 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 right? Again, Jalen Watson and Joshua Williams are not like, you know, pro bowlers right now, but. They aren't gonna get worse, hopefully, knock on wood. Like these guys are just gonna get better. Like they're just improving. So for yeah. us to have such a young, like secondary really allows us to like spend a lot of not a lot of money, but spend a good amount of money getting that defensive line like correct. And it's it's hard in a spag's offense because or sorry, a spag's defense because it because you have to be versatile, right? You have to always rotate like a freaking like hockey, you know, like a hockey, whatever what is it called when they substitute in hockey. Yeah, just substitution. There's like a—I was gonna say a hockey line. Wait, uh,
1: I've never heard of this term <laughs> you're looking for.
0: I'm no, just, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of like you know the way that Spags uses his his defensive rotations is similar to like a hockey team that changes their def- rotations. I don't know. Dude, this I, is a I do not podcast. watch hockey. I, I will never sign on to a Fountain City Sports Media hockey podcast if you want to do it. Definitely do it without me. But I'm just kinda that's something I thought of.
1: Dude, did you know the Kansas City almost got the Pittsburgh Penguins back at like the height of Sidney Crosby's powers? Really? Yeah. Fun story for another time,
0: but the for, if, for if, what if, if, if pods in the summer?
1: Yeah, what if pod. We'll talk about the what if pod later. That's a good one.
0: Yeah. Well anyway <laughs> anyway, Spag's line is hard. <laughs> yeah, dude. and I'm and I'm glad that I'm glad that Veach is finally like investing in it and doing it in an incredible way. Getting a Menahue for two years sixteen million is a great freaking deal, man. So um what is your grade on the Charles Menahue signing? I'm gonna give the Menahue signing with, sorry, with the caveat that Frank Clark is gone. Let's juxta- let's put that all in together. I think, like I said, I think this is another
1: upgrade. And, you know, it's a pretty modest contract for a pretty talented player who shows up consistently. And, you know, I think he kind of plays the way that we're all hoping George Karloff just winds up playing. So giving him another great veteran dude to learn from, I'm going to give this grade an A-.
0: Oh. I don't know if I can go as far as you, Reese, and say that he is better than Frank Clark. I will say that if he is more consistent than Frank Clark yeah. and maybe not as explosive, that means that he is better. Because like you said, we, we just haven't seen consistency from Frank Clark. Actually, I, I like want to pat ourselves on the back, too, because the things that you were saying about Orlando Brown Jr. and like also saying about Frank Clark were could have been controversial at the time, especially in the beginning of last year and the beginning of this year. But you were right on both things and also like Brett Veach heard you, right? Like they didn't they didn't try to sign these dudes to big deals that people wanted us to. Like you from from the beginning, Reese, I have to applaud you. Like you were always, you know, Frank Clark, I don't know, man. OBJ, I don't know, man. We're most of Kansas City and, and we're like, no, we got to sign these guys for big deals. We got to do this and this. But I think Brett Veach was on your side the entire time. Like he understood what you saw. So I just want to give you a pat on the back because that really it all worked out the way you thought it was going to work out
1: dude thank you for that uh, I feel vindicated in those regards and I also did a little bit of creeping the other day on Frank Clark and a looking at the draft profiles uh, I don't know if I ever told you this but one of the weaknesses this is on the NFL.com draft profile like profile pages Frank Clark I kid you not this is word for word doesn't gain much ground with spin move counter often twisting in place like no! how how painful is that? Like, how many times did we see what we joked about? Like, his yep. signature spin move to nowhere. And, like, he's trying to teach Karlofs how to do it in the offseason. No. I appreciate, <laughs> no dude, <don't. laughs> I appreciate what Frank Clark did for us in the playoffs. Playoff yeah. Frank. But I think the One, fact of, one of the greatest
0: that, playoff players ever.
1: But I think the fact that if you told any NFL fan Frank Clark is third all-time in playoff sacks, they'd say, what? No way. And I think that kind of sums up Frank Clark as a pro, as a player for us. That speaks all it needs to.
0: Well, and and to your point, Reese, it's day three, day four of free agency. He still hasn't been signed anywhere. So again, with our with our free agency philosophy, every day your value goes down if you don't if you don't sign or someone's not giving you an offer. And it could be that people are just waiting. They're waiting to see what is what is the least amount of money that I can give Frank Clark because they also saw it. Its just he's a great player, just not consistent. And he shows up and when the moment matters the most. But there's 17 games before that, you know, before when the when those games matter the most. And like those games really mattered to us. We got in uh, I'll I'll keep saying it. we got incredibly lucky that we were the first seed you know going to the playoffs a lot of things had to go our way and if we had if we had frank clark for at least two of those games right if we had a consistent frank clark for at least two of those we wouldn't have been you know chomping at the bit to try to get that first seed it would have been solidified so anyway great move for the chiefs i'm going to give it an a as well um charles Menahue, can't wait oh man i can't wait to see him carl loftus Chris Jones, and we'll see what happens next there. All right, Reese, let's talk about some people that are leaving. Then let's do some beer reviewing, and then we'll talk about if there's any more moves in the future. Um, so with all those moves, we already talked about Chris Jones. We already talked about Frank Clark. Let's talk about some other people that are that just left. Uh, probably the biggest one is Juju, Juju Smith Schuster going to the New England Patriots, three years, thir, uh, thirty-three million dollars. What do you what, what do you think, Reese?
1: Uh, You know, it it sucks and I'm a little bit torn because like initially I was like, man, I would have thought we could have kept Juju for three years, $33 million. And that's kind of what I was going to be hoping because like that's that's MBS money, right? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, the Pats getting him for that is essentially what I think Jacoby Myers wound up getting, wasn't it? It was similar money to that. I think he got... Yeah, maybe 15 a year. But Juju is way better. Well, not way better. But Juju is a step up, at the very least, from Jacoby Myers. I
0: think he's way better than Jacoby Myers.
1: Yeah. But at the same time, it's like uh, Juju has some injury issues, particularly with his knees. And it's like we can't, you know, with our receiver room already being as thin as it was with Juju, it's like we can't necessarily saddle ourselves to a potential time bomb of three years, 33 million and eat the dead cap on that if we wanted to have to cut him after like year two or something. So uh, it's a bummer. Early on in the year, I thought Juju was going to be a huge contributor for this team. And I said, wow, you know, well done. You found Pat's new favorite toy. But we've talked about it, that as the season went on, you know, his impact was more and more kind of diminishing on the team. And yeah, he had some big moments in the playoffs, don't get me wrong. But it never felt like Pat found, you know, Kelsey number two. You know, his stopgap is always there, is always fine
0: Juju. He, he flashed. He flashed. Yeah, I, uh, again, I'd, I am surprised that the deal is so low because, yeah, I think we could have matched three-year $33 million. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I kind of like this um, sign a veteran every year for Patrick Mahomes. Like, do a one-year deal, get a vet that is, is good, not Pro Bowl good, but, like, v- a very good vet. Um, and let that be the system for Patrick Mahomes. Um, so I like that Like Juju's gone, and now we can find another person to kind of fill in that, what's what's a one-year guy that we can get? And I've, I've talked about Adam Thielen, uh, just like personally between you and I, um, or what we're going to talk about a little later, Odell Beckham Jr., probably. Um, but I, I kind of like this system of like, let's not go out and get the Tyreek Hill. Let's not go out and get the Randy Moss type of guy. But let's get that vet guy that we can get cheap and also, you know, know that they are going to blossom in this offense, but Mm -hmm. be okay with them going to another team to get a better deal at the end of it. Right. Not someone that we're thinking like you're going to be a Kansas City chief, you know, for the rest of your life, you're going to retire as a Kansas City chief, but someone that we bring in incredibly productive for a year. And then, all right, thanks. Thanks for coming in. Not really like Terrell Suggs, but like of like a really good Terrell Suggs, you know, at his age is kind of what I'm thinking. So, yeah. like, I'm, I'm sad he's not coming back because I think we could have got him back for, you know, a comparable deal. But I'm kind of cool with this, like, vet, you know, one-year vet system.
1: Yeah, I'm interested, too. I, I think at a certain point we have to be developing our own wide receivers through the draft. So, I mean, let's call Kadarius Tony a glorified draft pick because we got three and a half years of rookie contract with him. Right. So, you know, Kadarius Tony's going to have to stay healthy. He's going to have to continue to develop a rapport with Pat over the next few years. Sky Moore is going to have to wind up being the guy we hope he is, which is a very solid wide receiver, too, which I still think he flashed and showed the potential to do that. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping we go in there and we draft around two or three receivers this year because we got to keep throwing darts at the receiver board, because I think eventually the kind of uh, wide receiver core by committee is going to come back to bite us, particularly when we don't have the stalwart of Travis Kelsey there. Kelsey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm looking. I think we can probably buy that tactic one, maybe two more years pending if, if slash one Kelsey ever has a significant drop off. Uh, but I mean, I'm with you. I wouldn't mind doing it again this year. I think Adam Thielen would be a great fit. Uh, you know, some people talk about like Corey Davis, maybe I would consider rolling a die on like one year of like, Nine million dollars on Odell Beckham Jr.,
0: but not much more than that. Oh God, imagine Odell—he would not take nine. But imagine if he did take he nine wouldn't. mil to play with Pat. Damn, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think eventually we do have to like get a stud in the draft. But Travis Kelsey, there, there's just no, there, there hasn't been any sign of aging. Like, yes, he had a little bit of back problems to start the playoffs, but other than mm-hmm. that, like you didn't see the back problems in the playoffs. Like he, we still haven't seen any like downfall and he seems to take care of his body really well. He's, he's slimmed down actually. Is he slimmed down? Yeah. He's slimmed down a little bit. Yeah. In the past couple of years. So like you can tell, you know, he's taking care of his health. He, he definitely seems to has like personalities really changed, and like he's very mature now. So I feel like, you know, he's, he's very disciplined. He's always been disciplined uh, with his body and like the way that he takes care of himself. And I think that he can, he can go for maybe three years, three more years in the production that he has. But you're right, eventually we're gonna have to we're gonna have to start bolstering it because Kadarius Tony, injuries, um, and then we'll see what Sky More, although I'm I'm pretty optimistic about Sky So sad to see Juju go, but you know what? We'll see what happens next. All right, Reese, uh, what else do we have? We have Juan Thornhill going to the Browns. Three years, $21 million. That was a surprise to me because I was like, You know what? This secondary was finally finding its own, really did well in the Super Bowl and like well against the Bengals. And then all of a sudden he's gone.
1: Yeah. So Juan Thornhill has a lot of potential untapped upside. I'm going to say I'm glad we're not the team that's going to pay for three years to see if he ever gets back that upside. We can remember and we've talked about the journey of Juan Thornhill since we drafted him. He was a second-round pick with a huge upside. He started almost immediately as a rookie. He uh, took him a while to get into the system. You know, he was getting burned a lot early. You know, he seemed kind of out of place. But by the end of his rookie season, kind of like Karloftis, he was building momentum and had a really good one-two punch with Tyron Matthew out in the safety. But last game of the season, I can still see the play, tears his ACL. And from Ugh. that moment... Juan Thornhill has shown flashes, but has never gotten back to that trajectory or level that he was trending toward his rookie year. So I think the right team can get that extra bit out of Juan Thornhill to the part that he can play to a potential all pro level. But I don't think the Browns are that team.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely not that team. And uh, yeah, we definitely saw like the the wheels, you know, didn't come off, but but definitely slower motor. Like, you know, I think there were a couple times where you and I were just like, what was Juan doing on that player? What is he doing? Even the entire game sometimes, like we were really on Juan Thornhill. But I really liked, you know, what happened at the end of the season. I feel like they, him and Justin Reed really, really made um, some great pro- progression and finally started to figure st- themselves out. Uh, they started trusting the cornerbacks, which really helped out their play. Um, but I'm also thinking that, you know, maybe this staff sees more in Brian cook than we think, uh, because you and I, you know, we just haven't seen a lot of film on Brian cook. Like we saw him and he's, you know, he's very feisty, very athletic, but a lot of times like he, you know, he just didn't seem like he was knowing what was going on at certain points. Um, so I was a little weary about Brian cook during the year, but I'm starting to wonder if, if they're able to release Juan Thornhill three or 21 million, which I feel like we probably could have matched. Um, I'm wondering whether Brett Veach... I'm wondering if Veach's like, you know what? Brian, Brian Cook is ready to cook. And maybe and maybe he's next in line and ready to go. Which makes me optimistic. But also just... I don't know. I, I was really rooting for Juan and Juan staying on this team. Um, so it's kind of... It's, it's, it's an either or for me.
1: You know, I think we're going to be taking a page out of the Patriots book. Which is potentially the only successful page. And emulatable page out of the Patriots book. Which is that you pay... Two or three players on your team, period, nobody else gets paid after the rookie contract. You know, unless you're outstanding and irreplaceable. Thanks. You're out. Thanks for service. Bye. I think Legarius Sneed's gonna be an interesting one coming up because he is kind of right in that sweet spot of he's kind of a unique guy. He can play safety, he can play corner, you know, he's long, he's mm-hmm. athletic. He would suck to replace, but are we going to wind up paying him, you know, probably like a various ward S contract, which is what, like three years, $45 million? That's a uh, little rich, man. And all these yeah. contracts that we've talked about a million times before is what wound up biting John Dorsey in the butt. It's like, yes, you drafted great guys, but you can't keep paying all the great guys can't you draft. Just keep drafting good guys and have them come in and, you know, step up and do their part.
0: Yeah, I'm, <laughs> we don't have to get too much into the cornerback position, but but I think eventually, um, similarly, what we're doing in the wide receiver position, I feel like if we can get a vet, right, someone that like still has some on the you know some in the tank, have that around Trent McDuffie, and hopefully Jalen Watson becomes this like cornerback too eventually. But if we can get Jalen Watson into this like cornerback too, uh, I think it would be great to do that. You know, wide receiver one to two year vet, you know, not vet minimum but like kind of in that middle salary that would replace a, a leisure need because I agree with you. I don't I don't think we can afford to keep someone like him. But I uh, going back to Juan though, I, I I don't know if 3 mil or sorry, 3 year two, 21 mil would, would be comparable. Um I just feel like we probably could have probably could have made that happen.
1: I think we could have but I think that's money for a player who's potentially replaceable. Like we've talked about, particularly the Brian cook yeah. and also that, that $21 million over the next three years, you know, that's, uh, you know, a good chunk of the way towards landing an Adam Thielen type guy, you know, being like, Hey, we're going to pay you seven to $10 million a year. And now we can do that for the next three years. If we really want to.
0: You're right, Reese in Brett Veach, we trust because he is, he's making the moves. Things are going well. He, he didn't go to Cancun, going on that banana boat. He went right back into the offense and making some hella moves, man. I'm very excited for next year's Chiefs. Um, stay tuned. Let's go into the beer review right now. And then afterward, let's talk about what are some other moves. That, is, is Brett going to make any other moves before the draft? I think he might. And so stay tuned. We'll talk a little bit about that. But let's open up a beer and let's have a good time, baby.
1: Everyone's favorite time of the podcast. That's right, for the first time in almost a month, it's This Week in Craft Beer. This segment of the show, we break down a story going on this week in craft beer, as well as review a delicious craft beer for your listening pleasure. Armando, this week, it is an opinion piece that I thought was really interesting because it kind of caught my attention because I've been catching little whispers of this here, there, and everywhere I've gone to drink. And that is the headline IPA is dank again. Again, again. So it's an interesting article. It kind of goes into like the early days of the IPA, particularly in like the American craft brewery scene. And you know how they used to just kind of be the bitter again, dank beers that everyone thought were kind of like niche. Uh, I think it does a good job talking about how hops and marijuana are actually pretty tied closely together. Uh, The example they're using is that the ties that bind between weed, cannabis sativa, and hops, humulus lupulus, sorry, I can't say that right, humulus lupulus, run deep. Their common ancestry can be traced back more than 25 years from the structure of the hop cone and the cannabis flower being remarkably similar down to the aromatic sulfur compounds known as thiols they produce, which are key to understanding what the beer writer Jeff Allsworth calls that ineffable quality that we call dankness. So, uh, the article goes on to talk a little bit, just kind of like a a brief history of the IPA and the American craft beer scene, how it started off as, you know, being, like we talked about, this really dank, resinous, bitter-style beer, Uh, but over, you know, particularly the last five or so years, that the West Coast IPAs, such as they cite Pliny the Elder, you know, of the late 90s, have kind of given way to, uh, what do they call it, They, they said it's plateaued into hazy IPAs fractured into micro-trends, milkshake IPAs, that fizzled out under even the slightest scrutiny. Language went da-da, hazy boy, crispy boy, flying through the sky so fancy free, and dank reached an escape velocity through meme culture, entering the mainstream with a kind of irony-laden coolness that emanates from something that has long since been uncool. So, a lot of people are saying it does seem like the popularity of West Coast IPAs are starting to come back. Would you say being out in not just the IPA, but the beer mecca of the United States out in Colorado, do you see more breweries start to try and bring the IPA back?
0: Um well I'll preface it, with I have a almost actually, what is he now? Almost five months? No. No, he can't be almost five months. Yeah, maybe he's almost I have a almost five month-year-old kid now, so I don't really like go out every weekend anymore to the the craft beer scene but i will say that when i have gone i don't think people are really promoting you know uh west coast ipas i think there is a uh there's still value to it especially here in colorado but it's definitely not something that people are pushing really? um for example you know for example um uh new, new new belgium by the way logan's gonna do a presentation at new belgium she's gonna talk about opera at their uh tap room be really cool really yeah i'm excited but like you know someone like new belgium who is the you know the mecca of hoppy beers right now uh they are exclusively doing those east coast hazy beers right they're exclusively doing that voodoo ranger and just keeping it you know anti dank almost of course they do have like you know their imperial which kind of gives you that dankness but otherwise um i don't see them doing it um i know i just went to wildworks a month ago and they they had a, a ton of great West Coast actually on tap, but not anything that they're like pressing. I I what I'm still seeing is the Pilsner. I think the Pilsner trend is still huge right now in, in Colorado. Um, Also, what I've been seeing just like just, you know, some like, you know, uh, similar to um, to Reddit forums is like habanero IPAs. Really? That some people are doing yeah, like some people are doing like not chili beers, but but chili beers hoppy beers Hmm. um for example treehouse is doing it in um in boston and there was another big time brewery that is taking just their like staple ipa beers and making like into this like ghost pepper um flip or this like habanero spin-off of it (coughs) which i i might be a trend right now I i haven't seen anywhere else i was just seeing it on instagram that some some like really reputable breweries are doing. Um, so I've seen that more than anything else.
1: That's really interesting. You say that because hops actually accentuate the heat factor in foods. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I guess that's kind of like might work. You might be able to <laughs> save money on like chili extract in those regards. But it's so funny. It's a thing now because there used to be a pub uh, shout out to OG gingers in Cedar Falls, which burned down uh i'm saying og gingers because gingers evolved into just like you know douchey frat bro bar but og gingers always had this chili beer on draft i believe it was a lager or could it could have been an ale i can't remember the time i was 21 uh but that was really interesting it was good it just made me really want nachos like i couldn't drink it without just like wanting nachos <laughs> and they didn't have uh, nachos that should have some good damn yeah. it damn it yeah.
0: og whatever
1: Well, last thing I'll say on this that I want your opinion on, I think it's interesting what they're describing as West Coast IPAs because, you know, they've cited things like Pliny the Elder in here, which honestly is, that's, you know, completely one side of the spectrum. Insane West Coast, dank, piney, resiny massacre. Delicious, but a massacre. But to me, like West Coast IPA that I kind of got into, you know, was like Sierra Nevada IPA. Back in the day, like, that was one of my first ones when I was in college. Uh, You know, Boulevard used to do one called Heavy Lifting. was a West Coast IPA. Mm, That was good, yeah. Yeah, basically anything, you know, that's got, like, Chinook or Mosaic or one of those, you know, classic West Coast hops that's, you know, clear, golden in color. And, yeah, it's got a bit of, like, dankness to it. So, yeah, last thing I'll say on this is they say dank, even at its peak as a complimentary term, never lost its connection to revulsion. That sense of unease and intrigue that simultaneously pushes you away and pulls you closer. They talk about the hazy IPAs, which heavily lean on dry hopping to draw out the fruitiness of the new generation of hops, uh, could be seen as a balm for the burnout of palate-wrecked hops enthusiasts. Their quote being, Mm. for your years of service walking through the pine forest covered in sap, here's your reward, a (laughs) brew that looks and tastes like a mimosa.
0: So It is is funny how our palates, like, it's funny how our palates change, right? Like I, I bet 10 years ago. No, not way too much. <coughs> <I> but <coughs> I bet five years ago when I was like super West Coasty, I would have said, I'm drinking a West Coast IP every day for the rest of my life. And that's it. But it's funny. Like now I'm like, I'm drinking a Pilsner every day for the rest of my life. And that's it. Like, who knows? Maybe in a couple of months, my palate's going to change and I'm going to start drinking like stouts or I'm going to start drinking, you know, sa- I'm finally going to like sours again. I don't know. Um, well, it's it's really curious how our palates, you know, our palates do that. It is. It is. And the reason I bring this article up that caught my
1: eye was so I went to one of our favorite places, shout out the pairing, and I got myself nice. got myself a mix six as one does. And uh, you know, part of the fun of doing it with Noel is that because Noel can't drink beer, you know, she is literally drinking con- them all. Well, she's a control group. So like for me, I can go through and be like, oh, I don't like the style of beer. I'm not fueling the style of beer. Whatever, right I'll pass it over, pass it over. So I bring her because I'm like, yo, I'm gonna pick out three. Could you pick out three that just sound interesting to you? Just so I, you know, I'm not putting oh, my nice. own bias into this. And she wound up grabbing me a hazy IPA from a brewery in Chicago, which oh, it escapes me right now. The the IPA was called Juice Pants. And it was a hazy IPA, which I had looked over the hazies. I'm like, I'm not feeling hazies right now. I'm so tired of them. But dude, this was a delicious hazy IPA that I have to say was probably one of the better ones I've had in a long time since, you know, I've had my first, uh, had my first juicy bits. You know, like it's been that long. Juice Uh, Pants from Maplewood Brewing. Maplewood. Thank you. Thank you. So recommended Juice Pants. Talking about IPAs. And tonight I will be reviewing a Triple India Pale Ale. Oh, from Puff Hearted Brewing featuring Motueka and Nelson Hops 10.7 Ree- ABV
0: Brees is going to be so blitz when we talk about Odell Beckham Jr. I can't wait
1: Odell Beckham
0: Jr. Odell
1: Brewery don't matter <laughs> Chiefs and 7 here we go <laughs>
0: Alright, so for those of you that um, that are new to this game, we uh, uh, we review beers every single every single week. And we have different categories, and I haven't done this in a while, so I'm probably going to mess up the category. So I'm not going to say what categories we do, because I'll just do them along the way, and Reese will help me if I mess up. Uh, but we rate each beer on these certain categories from 1 to 10, 1 being not so great. Actually, you can do 0 too, and 10 being the best you've ever had. So the first thing Reese is doing, he just cracked it open. He's pouring into a beautiful glass, and after he pours that, he's going to tell us about the appearance of that beer. So appearance, wow! Uh, I'm in trouble here. Uh, there's a
1: lot of head in this bad boy, but it's a gorgeous uniform head. I have to say, uh, I didn't even try That's pouring beautiful. with head. I, I've got a solid like inch and a quarter, inch and a half of head here. Very that is like that is like a magazine. That is like magazine worthy head right there. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, the beer itself looks like Sunny D. It's one of those hazy IPAs. I mean,
0: <laughs> well, and ain't... that's the
1: thing with like with triples, man. Like, oh my gosh, look at that! Oh my. Well, hold on. We're gonna give the the, the test. Can you see my flashlight through the back of the beer?
0: <laughs> Bare- barely. It's like it's it, it's it's like when you're at your uh your a friend's sleepover and you guys are like in a tent and then you you like flash the light. You can barely see the flashlight in the tent. Like, oh, man. Although, light is not good for hops. I don't know why I just did that, but... Meh, you just yellow. ruined the beer. Now it's, bit, yeah. now it's automatically skunky.
1: Yeah, throw it out. This isn't a fair trade. Uh, <laughs> this looks really delicious. I wish it was warmer outside drinking this, because I really like the, I, I like these beers that look like this. It's going to give me a headache, I'm sure, but uh, oh, yeah. appearance-wise, uniform especially if Especially if Bowie wakes you up at 525. Oh, dude, he woke me up at uh, 2 a.m. last <laughs> night throwing up. He's the Ooh. biggest... Dude, he's the biggest, like, (laughs) prince dog of all time. He's like a working breed, so he should be living outside. But he's like, I have seasonal allergies that the vet's diagnosed. (laughs) I can't eat too late or I get acid reflux. It's like, you little prince. Oh, no. Ugh, whatever. He Uh, he might as well be an opera singer. Oh, my gosh. You're not wrong.
0: Okay, so appearance on this. I like what's going on here. I'm going to give us an 8.8. All right, 8.8. Yeah, it looks great. Okay, Reese. So that was appearance. How about smell? What's the what's the uh, aroma on that beer?
1: Definitely getting a lot of kiwi, like that strawberry kiwi starburstness, which mm. I'm sure is the
0: combination of the Motueka and the Nelson, because uh, Nelson's your favorite, baby. Oh yeah, yeah. The, you're gonna get kiwi in that. Motueka is more of um, what do I want to say? That's more of like a bitter, way bitter hop, right? No.
1: That's another one of those, uh, New Zealand hops, you know, so it's got the tropical oh, fruitiness okay. to
0: it. Yeah. Oh, oh you're going to have, you're gonna have a juice bomb on this one.
1: A little bit of pineapple, uh, very kind of low underlying notes of like kind of that cheese, rindy dankness that we're talking about here. Mm. Smells good though. Uh, not outstanding, surprisingly not as potent aroma as you would guess with how thick this beer is. So I'm going to say
0: 8.4 on aroma. Ooh, eight point four. All right, great. Now we have our favorite category. It is flavor. I wish I was drinking that right now because triple IPAs are my favorite. So Reese, what is the flavor on that triple? Triple IPA. Sorry, not tripel. For those of you that are following at home. Oh baby. Ooh, that's an Armando beer.
1: That's an Armando beer. Tastes Mm. like
0: cotton candy from
1: Disneyland. I'm gonna have to go back and get another one of those. Yeah, it, it tastes like it smells.
0: I'll be in Kansas City in a month and a half for a couple months, so
1: <sighs> I hope it. I hope that. What's the the expiration date on this? Because you know these these beers are so vi vo- Oh, eleven fourteen. So this could last. Well, like. eleven fourteen twenty two. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> so here's the thing. This is a little impressive. Actually, yeah, that's <laughs>
0: fine. That's okay. I'll the always... fact
1: that a triple IPA hazy like this has held up and hasn't started falling apart, even though it's like what's that now, about five months past its sell-by mm-hmm. date? That's very impressive, and that only makes me like the flavor on this beer even more. Uh, yeah. The question is, do I roll the dice and
0: get you one for a month and a half from now? <laughs> I might <laughs> Screw do it. that. Do it, but keep it in the, keep it in the fridge, and, and even if you move, like take it from the fridge and put it right in like a cooler, and then put it right in your new fridge. Which is probably what saved this. This one's straight from the fridge to my fridge.
1: Um, a li- you know, everything I smell, I taste. Strawberry kiwi, Pineapple, mango, uh, a little bit of kind of cavey, danky, earthiness to it. I'll take one more sip on this. Surprisingly palatable for how hefty it is. Flavor on this,
0: dude, welcome to the party. That's a 9.15. Woo! Okay, so we got 9.15. That's a great flavor for Reese. Reese, what is the uh, mouthfeel on it then? If it's a triple, you're feeling, is it pretty heavy then, or... Got some, you know, different type of style to it. Definitely drinks like milk,
1: oh, like a lighter, a lighter milk, though, like a, a skim, Malk. like a 1% to like a very rugged skim milk, which I know is kind of an oxymoron. Um, but <laughs> I say that in how smooth this is. Uh, it's incredibly drinkable. There's some carbonation to help break that up, but not so much like your tongue's burning or anything like that. Uh, it's got a very silky, pillowy mouthfeel to it. One more sip. Yeah, I would say, honestly, that drinks about, I'd say close to 2%. to one and a half to 2% less ABV than I would have guessed. Uh, so, for mouthfeel on that, I'm actually going to give that a, a 9-1 again.
0: Ooh. Oh, Reese, Reese is turning around right now. Reese is, Reese is about to put this on, the, on Mount Crushmore, uh, on the foothills of Mount Crushmore. We'll see. Uh, then we got... <coughs> Then we have, uh, what else do we have? Aftertaste. Reese, after you take another sip and let us know, is there a different, a different flavor on the back end or is it consistent with the, what you had first tasted? Huh. A lot of the dankness
1: really does come out in the back half of it, which, you know, my saying that I'm going to make a catchphrase and put it on a shirt and everyone's going to beat me up for it is, I like my fruits up front and my hops out back. And that's what this beer does. <laughs> it doesn't shift as hard as I would like. the The thing that's going to keep this from being a serious, like all timer hazy IPA, is just that complete one eighty into the hop dankness in the back half. It's there, but other beers I've had, like Juicy Bits, Heady Topper in particular, just do that so much better. Uh, so for the aftertaste, not being too offensive but also i would like a little bit more of the good stuff in there i'm just gonna say aftertaste is probably like an eight a two
0: two. that's pretty good all right an eight two on aftertaste and reese the last category we have is stonk's drinkability quotient how badass is this beer how does this beer make you feel what makes this beer stand out how is it unique what do you got As I'm pouring the last of this back to my tulip glass and refilling it, which I always like to
1: think of is like when you fight a boss in a video game and they do health regen and it's just like, oh no, it's back to full health. Well, guess what? My beer is the boss and it's back to full health, but that's neither here nor there. (laughs) I like this beer a lot for a lot of reasons. It's beautiful. It tastes good. And also, this is what I call an Armando beer. It has the Nelson Sauvon hop in it, which I know you love. Yes, sweet, sweet Nelson. And I love it, too. Nelson's great. Also, there's something about this beer that just, like, makes me think of, like, kicking it in Colorado with you. Particularly, like, when we went to that beer bar, that beer bike bar. Oh, yeah. uh Um, What was it called? Wow.
0: Trails End. Dude, and, like, when I drink this,
1: I'm just like, yo, I just want to, like, kick it with Armando. And just, like, oh, be dude. in Colorado and be carefree and stuff like that.
0: Oh, dude, just wait till you come back. By the way, I got an even better beer bar for you 20 oh. minutes away from me called Tap and Handle. Oh. They got, they got like, Planet the Elder just all the time just, like, flowing out of their taps. I don't know if I can handle those taps at Tap and Handle. Uh, but the very last thing I'll say,
1: too, is, as I alluded to, discovering that this beer is five months past its sell-by date, and it's a triple IPA that is still holding up, I mean, just, like, brand new, is incredibly impressive. So for Stonk's drinkability on this beer, all these things wrapped up into a package, this
0: is a perfect 10 for Stonk's drinkability. Ooh, oh my goodness. Reese mm-hmm. is giving I I don't know when the last time Reese is given two nines and a 10 in any category. Um, all right, Reese. I don't know if we've had a lot of triples on this, uh on this podcast, but can we uh can we put this as one of the best triples you've had? Um, I
1: mean, just because I haven't had a lot of triples. Yeah, probably. I think uh, it's hard. Then let's
0: put it in the double. How about double IPA triple category? Let's put doubles in there, too. You know, it's hard. Uh, Is Juicy Bits a double? Mm, No. Oh, wow. I should know this. No, it's not. But I mean, it basically is.
1: Yeah, no, it's hard. (laughs) It's hard for me to say because this isn't Juicy Bits good. Juicy Bits is still like every bit worth the hype. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a little more drinkable than this is too. toppling Goliath. I don't, every hazy I get from toppling Goliath isn't necessarily this quality, but like if I threw a dart at like five different toppling G hazies, like at least one of them is going to be this good. Uh, yeah. but it's a very impressive beer. It makes me interested to look more into hoof hearted brewing. So this can be like, this can be like the Donovan McNab of hazy IPAs where it's like, is it a hall of fame Or it's like, nah, but it was really good like Hall of Fame good might be the best quarterback in like a not great quarterback or franchise's quarterback history good but I don't know if it's a Hall of Famer you know dude you just opened up a can of worms at the end of a beer review dude that's how I roll if you like the discussion (laughs) check us out on Patreon at patreon.com backslash fcsm or join us on Instagram
0: at Fountain City SM. hey there you go I totally forgot to do our social media stuff yeah by the way everybody we're on social media woohoo um where is mm-hmm. where is hoof Hard before we before we close this off i just went on there what hoof hearted oh it's in ohio is it really it is in there's no good beer uh, in Ohio. I don't even, <laughs> well get this it's in marengo ohio hold on hold on hold on no brewed and canned by Hoofhearted
1: brewing new haven connecticut there you go i have a hoof hearted just north of columbus how oh, am i this brings up one last point i'll talk about this beer and then i promise i'll shut up <laughs> Part of the reason I was curious about this beer is the fact that it was from Connecticut. I do remember that now that I read it on the label. And as we all know, the Northeast is the low-key hot spot of craft beer in this country. That's where Alchemist and Heavy Topper is from. There's a bunch of other great breweries up there, as I'm sure you know, going to Finger Lakes Opera and all that jazz. So I'm Mm. happy to see that our friends in New England are atoning for their sins of the Patriots and all Boston sports teams by putting out high-quality breweries like Puff Hearted. Great job.
0: Where is North Haven? I mean, Connecticut's not that big of a state. It has to be like like 20 minutes away from New Haven, right? Probably. I'm only asking because I'm going to be there on Sunday. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I see where it's at. Yeah, it's like... Eh, it's just far enough for me because I'm on mm-hmm. like the north-north side of Connecticut. I was going to say, oh, I should go down there. But it's like... New Haven, which is like two hours away.
1: Oh, I gotcha. I didn't even it's, know It's surprisingly,
0: yeah, Connecticut is surprisingly long. Dude, I was, was going to say, like, I wouldn't have guessed Connecticut was two and a half hours end to end. Yeah, no, getting from Stonington, which is where I'm at, which is on the north side, like, that's right to Rhode Island, going all the way down to Stamford is like, it took me like almost three and a half hours to drive down. Dang. Well, I, I bet you can find some of this. I mean, uh, not necessarily this beer exactly, but I'm sure you can find some of a uh, hoof harvest somewhere in Connecticut. Yeah. I'll check it out. Well, Reese gave us a raving review, and I can't wait to try some of that because I love me a triple IPA, and stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, because we're going to talk about a triple threat in what might happen with Brett Veach and the free agency of the Kansas City Chiefs, so stay tuned. back from a raving review from Reese. Raving review Reese. Look at that. Look at that. Whatever that's called. Alliteration. Um, Yeah, so we gotta check out that brewery. But anyway, we got some more Chiefs news, Reese. So yesterday Patrick Mahomes contract was was not, sorry, not renegotiating, restructured so that we had some more money this year in this offseason. Now, some people were speculating, Reese, that the reason why Brett Veach restructured the contract was so that they would have some money to sign some of these guys on rookie deals. Well, that's a lie because you don't have to do that right now in the season. In fact, you don't have to do that until after the draft. So for Brett Veach to purposefully free up, I believe he freed up about $18 million from Patrick Mahomes' contract to do that today or sorry, yesterday on March 15th. I think that means something else is coming up. Reese, I almost called you Veach. Reese, (laughs) if you had to guess what is Veach's next move, you don't have to guess the particular player, but what position is is do you think Brett Veach is looking at before the draft happens? See if he can get in free agency. I think it's going to be a uh, I want to say wide
1: receiver. And I honestly wouldn't be shocked if it was Adam Thielen if he can play consistently. That's because uh so it opens up 9.6 million in cap space for 2023 alone. Oh okay. So that means that we now have about 12.5 million in cap space. So we had 3 million beforehand. So 3 million I think is give or take about what you need to sign your rookies. So Adding nine point six a year means we're gonna go after somebody that we can get for one year for about ten million. Uh, who that person is, I don't know. I don't think there's anyone great and impactful you're gonna get for that unless it's a wide receiver like Adam Thielen that like we're talking about. And the fact that, like we said, Juju Jacoby, you know, they've all kind of gone for around that like ballpark eh, nine to eleven million this year. I could see that being where moves this money. But what do you think?
0: Well, another thing to consider as well is um, we we don't know what the Chris Jones deal is going to be yet. Mm-hmm. And some people are saying that that can actually, even though he's going to get extended and get a lot of money, that actually might free up even more cap space. Mm-hmm. And I think they already know the numbers for that. it's They're just kind of waiting for that deal to come out. So I think we got a little bit more than $9 million, which makes me think also with another report that came out today, the Chiefs are still in on Odell Beckham Jr. Mm. And there's, there's three teams that they've narrowed it down to. It's us, it's the Patriots. And I think one other, sorry, I don't have the, it right in front of me, but it just came out a couple hours ago, actually that the Chiefs are in on it. And I know it's not super popular for you. And we've talked about this before is where, you know, we don't want to get a star in there to kind of mess up this, like, you know, where can Patrick Mahomes throw it? And this, you know, really messing up these defenses and not having a predictable offense but man having Odell Beckham jr on this team plug and play for a year maybe I kind of like it Reese and I kind of like that we're a little aggressive to go get them especially with the adjustments that we've made we've so we, our lines aren't solidified but the line I'm comfortable enough with both trenches right now that we can play in the draft to kind of fill out the trenches, and maybe we go out and get Odell. I think that's the next move. Man, I'm so torn because I've
1: never been big on Odell Beckham Jr. ever, even when he made LOL highlight reel catch. But I would almost (laughs) say when he got picked up by the Rams last year or two years ago, like that was the best Odell's ever looked to me, if that makes sense. But I mean, honest to goodness, you know, playing with Matt Stafford at that point may have been the best quarterback he's ever played with. He's had what, right. like like old man Eli Manning, Daniel Jones and Baker Daniel Mayfield. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if we can get that St. Louis or St. Louis Rams. Wow. If we can get that Los <laughs> Angeles Rams, Odell Beckham Jr. Sands the injury. I love that for a year. Uh, I just don't know. It's like between him and Tony, it's like, that's just, you know, like a game of operation in terms of all the things that are wrong, yeah. you know, so uh, uh, I, I don't know, Jim. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, like, I, I, and another argument for it and to kind of what you were talking about is that it kind of takes some miles off of Kadarius, Tony will take some miles off of Odell Beckham Jr. It'll take some miles off of Kelsey, right? We don't have to rely. Well, I mean, I know we're going to rely on Kelsey no matter what happens, right? Like we, we're going to go to Kelsey. But I, I think that we, we don't have to rely on Odell Beckham Jr. in this offense, even if we sign him, right? Like like he, he doesn't have to go for a, you know, 115 yard game, couple touchdowns. He can play that juju role where like juju was not featured for four or five games. And then out of nowhere, you know, I had a 115-yard game or like a couple touchdown game, like I kind of talked about. And I think Odell can fit in there really well, right? Like, I feel like if we sign him, and in the beginning of the year, I think we're going to see a lot of Sky Moore. I think we're going to see a lot of Kadarius Toney. And then towards the end of the year, then I think Andy Reid will start, you know, taking out some of these plays and like, all right, we're going to start featuring Odell. But I think this is just, this is the perfect offense where Odell Beckham Jr. would be not a risky signing, right? Like if this was a different offense where, where we needed him to play this Tyree kill role and need him to like, always get, you know, always get fed. But here he doesn't have to get fed that much. Right. And I think that might play to our advantage where like, you know, yes, he has injury concerns, but we also don't need to run him to the ground. And I don't know. I just, man, if, if we had him, like people would be scared bleepless about this Kansas city chiefs offense. Like if we had him, and, and and even even if he doesn't play the whole year even if he played like for half the year like man what what do you do to you know defend this offense
1: man it's it's interesting and it's exciting i mean it really is i just i think what's going to wind up happening which is weird cuz i think the three
0: teams that they said were interested were like us the patriots and like baltimore right oh yeah that's right the Ravens which is strange like like okay well I mean we can have a whole different podcast about what the hell is happening with Lamar Jackson but like for them to not go go all in on Lamar and then all of a sudden go oh well we'll get you Odell. like what is going on in Baltimore
1: well I mean that's that's its own thing but I was gonna say in these situations with these type of big name marquee players What usually happens is the player will try and garner interest from a few franchises that he really isn't interested in going to. He wants the bag. And generally, one of those franchises will be stupid and will give him the bag. We don't have the bag to give him. So my gut wanted to say, like, I think someone's going to sign him, you know, for like one year or like, you know, two years, 24 million with a bunch of incentive included to that. And I'm like, that's not going to be us. But like, I don't see the. Patriots doing that and Mac Jones is absolute dog water, so I don't know why they'd want Odell Beckham Jr. And they
0: have you have know, the money, like they though. Said, well, and, and I also don't think that they think that Mac Jones is dog water because they just oh, got somebody, didn't don't. they? Well, they, yeah. sorry, they just got Juju,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, I mean, honestly, we talked about it earlier like Juju is like you know better Jacoby Meyer, you know,
0: yeah. I well, I I agree with you, I I don't think. Mac Jones is very good at all but for some like this is weird this year with the Patriots like they've done some signings where it's like wait they got who why like they're they're not going to tank but they also think that they're competitive in their division like and look at that division now oh my gosh Aaron Rodgers you know any day now is about to be a jet um I don't know I, I, I I can see Belichick with like the you know it's the end of his time he's just like eh screw it let's see if we can See if we can put some points on the board, but dude, I mean, also think like, do you think Odell Beckham Jr. and Juju Smith-Schuster can coexist
1: like with their Ugh. dude? That, that's oh a gosh, man. that locker room. Oh my god! Because I think we saw it at the end of the season when he posted that thing about uh, who was it? Bradbury that he tore or got held by? What was his name? It Wasn't Bradbury?
0: Oh, Juju, you mean? Yeah, Juju. Remember? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was, um, yeah, it was Bradbury or Slay. No.
1: Yeah, it was Barry. So, you know, we we like held Juju's crazy in check all season until we won the ring. And then suddenly he just like unleashed it. So obviously it's <laughs> still there. You know, it's lurking beneath oh, it's the surface.
0: Like... So well, I'm I... like, well, I, if, if he goes anywhere, it's good that he's going to the Patriots because, you know, Bill's Bill's going to shut that down pretty quickly. But can he shut down him
1: and Odell Beckham Jr.?
0: Ugh. Yeah. Talk about that. That should be like a um, hard knocks. Oh, gosh. Hard knocks Odell Beckham Jr., Belichick and Juju, good Lord. And even Mac, like Mac Jones was very vocal last year. Like, there was a lot of drama behind the scenes with Mac Jones and, and Bill Belichick in that offense. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happens, but I I don't know. I just have this weird, got this weird Odell Beckham feeling, man. Like, you know, Brett Vichy's always got something up its sleeve. And I think that Patrick Mahomes restructuring was intentional. So we'll see what happens. Reese, before we leave the podcast, let's say farewell to EB. E.B. is now the offensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders, and um, finally has his own offense. And this is completely his now, um, and he made a lot of moves where he said, "All right, Kansas City Chiefs, if you don't want to sign with Kansas City, come come to us." Because he got he picked up Andrew Wiley pretty quickly. He got Marcus Kemp, and I believe someone else is going to the Commanders, but I forget. But those are probably the two biggest ones. Uh, Reese, what are your reactions and your and your farewell to E.B. Yeah,
1: you know, I'm glad. E.B. is going to get the chance to finally prove that he's not just, you know, like another Andy Reid OC that really doesn't do much but relay the plays in. And, you know, this was the opportunity that he needed if he wasn't going to go be a head coach at the college level, which, you know, in and of itself has unique and inherent risks from the NFL. Um, you know, I'm glad he got two rings with us. I think it was time for, like, both sides to move on and start something fresh. Uh... I'm happy that he's taking some pieces with him. Like, I'm glad Andrew Wiley got the bag and we're going to play with uh, Washington. I'm glad we're not paying Andrew Wiley slash, like, keeping him a right tackle. I think he, much like Odell, but also much differently, was very serviceable as a right tackle. But he exceeded expectations, whereas I think Orlando kind of, like, played below expectations. Marcus Kemp, very great locker room guy, as we pointed out. Fantastic special teamer. And also the hero of the AFC title game. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if maybe we see McCole Hardman wind up in Washington Ooh. as well because he's still a free agent. Uh, it'll all depend on how much Eric Bieniemy enjoyed working with him. But best wishes to Eric Bieniemy. I think that Washington team has a bit of potential to it if they can just figure out their quarterback situation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'd, uh, first and foremost, you know, definitely going to miss EB. I know. You know, we've been you know, uh, we've, we've been on EB for the last three years and like just very confused as so, you know, what, what is his role in this offense? What, you know, is he calling plays? Is he not calling plays? Um, regardless of what was actually happening, I think Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, um, Andy Reid have an immense respect for EB, right? They've never said a bad thing about him and said, you know, how crucial he is to this offense. So, regardless of if he's calling plays here and then, like he definitely had an impact on this team and there's, there's no question and no debate on that. And, and just from a, just from a um, opinion standpoint, I think it's crazy that he needed to go to the Washington commanders in order to prove that he can, you know, call plays in this league. I think it's, it's, it's embarrassing to the league that, you know, he didn't get a chance anywhere else. And then he has to be the OC for one of the worst franchises ever Uh, In order to, you know, make a name for himself after being in, you know, what will go down as some of the best offensive in NFL history, regardless of if he created the player or not, like he is a part of one of one of the best offensive schemes to ever happen in the NFL. So anyway, I just wanted to say that before we before I talk about what happened. Go ahead.
1: Let's say this about the enemy too. this. (laughs) Let's try and spin this as a positive. Because it could almost be better that he's getting more chance to kind of metamorphosize into a head coach from an offensive coordinator position right now rather than go to like any of the dumpster fire opportunities he's interviewed for in the last few years. Because he could have been dead at a rival if he got picked up by like Carolina or, you know, I don't know if in New Orleans in their cap hell situation without a quarterback, you know, the list goes on for those kind of places he interviewed for. So maybe now he'll get a chance to be like a little more selective and maybe kind of a more high profile job will open up where pieces are already kind of set in place. And they say, Eric, you know, we think you're the missing conduit to really make this circuit board run. We want you as our head coach.
0: Yeah, no, I I, I think you bring up a good point. I'm just worried about the about the Washington Commanders and their front office. Like it's just not, you know, I I think people know that it's one of the worst, you know, front offices in, in the NFL, but at the same time, you're right he he goes into a place where he can create whatever he wants. So I hope that they let him do that and I hope um that that the that the shame of the Washington Commanders and the shame of that front office does not become, you know, a negative to EB and that he can, you know, rise above. Um so I again, I'm excited for him because, you know, he has the reins. Um I'm hearing a ton of Sam Howell buzz. Um I don't know why. Uh so Sam Howell is their um, is the guy I think they're going with right now, in 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 Washington, uh, because the, you know I think trying to get a guy like Anthony Richardson, trying to get a guy like like Will Levis, it's it's too high in the draft. So I think they're going to have to go with a guy like Sam Howell. Mm. Um, so right now, the big question is, can Eb you know do can Eb develop a guy like Sam Howell, and if he can, and not that Sam Howell needs to be a Pro Bowler. But, like, if, if they can win a couple of games with Sam Howell and we see some some genius from that, I think that's really going to help EB. And from what I'm hearing from, you know, certain people um, from Washington, I'm hearing that they love Sam Howell and that they've always loved Sam Howell. It's just, like, the, the commanders have just had all these, like, random hodgepodge of of quarterbacks that just always played, right? Like, Tyler Heineke. I don't know who the other guy was. Uh, what was the other guy's name? Damn it. Carson Wentz. Guy <laughs> yeah carson wentz of course but there's a there's a younger there's a young guy that played above sam howell as well and just sam has never had the opportunity and i think now they're going to give him at least the keys for one season yeah um so we'll see what happens no i'm excited and look that's a great wide receiving core as well i not know i know scary terry actually one of the uh right after uh eb's introduction we, <coughs> excuse me we got some audio of of Terry McLaurin talking to EB, and it was actually really cool, EB, um, uh, M- M- McLaurin was like, I saw what you did in Kansas City, I'm really excited for you to be here, he's like, you know, I, 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 I want a coach that's going to be hard on me, I want a coach that's going to you know, make me better every day, because that's another contentious thing about about um, EB, and, and we know this publicly, is that EB is very, is very vocal. Is and sometimes like you know vocal in a, a negative way to his to his players, right? He's really on him. I think some people also said you know he was really on Patrick Mahomes and he'll be on him in in um in practice. Um, but for a guy like Scary Terry who understands that and knows that and wants to get better, like this might be a good fit. Might be so. I, I don't know. Really excited for him, and I'm really thankful for the time that we had in Kansas City, and and I think it's a win-win for both. It's a win. It's a win for EB. Because, you know, he can reinvent himself. And it's a win for Kansas City because now he can, you know, I think think Matt Nagy and his relationship with Patrick Mahomes is undeniable. And I think they, I can't wait to see them together. And I know people are like, oh, well, you know, Matt Nagy with Alex Smith sucked. But, like, I think people don't realize the relationship that Matt Nagy and Pat have. And that's going to be really exciting.
1: Yeah, dog, Nagy season back on the menu. Let's do
0: it. Nagy's back on the menu, and Fountain City Sports. Me- <laughs> Fountain City Sports. I was gonna say Fountain City Sports. Menu. Fountain City Sports Media is back on the menu. Uh, a little rusty today. Sorry about that, guys. I'm just recovering from a cold. But we haven't done this in a bit. But you know what, Reese, we're back. We're ready to roll. I'm excited. uh We're gonna have some draft stuff coming on. Um The next couple weeks because the draft's in Kansas City, and we actually have some people that want to talk about the draft. So stay tuned for some great content because we've had some great signings, and I think we're going to have a great draft. So stay tuned, Kansas City Chiefs fans. Uh, We'll be back soon. So we'll see you next time. Go Chiefs!
1: We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Check out our website at fountaincitysportsmedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes, and as always... I'm Reese, and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media.